Good morning, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Those Murder Girls Podcast with your favorite hosts. I'm Raina. And I'm Marie. Are you guys following us on social media? You better you better be doing that. Yeah. But and if, if not, not <laughs> go ahead and do so. You can find us at Those Murder Girls Podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Yes. So today's case is a short one, and that's only because there are so many variations of this story online. We had no choice but to stick to the bones of this and got the most credible evidence that we could find to tell you guys the whole story. So we apologize in advance for any misinformation. Like, researching this story, we came across information that was like night and day. So again... We apologize if there's any misinformation, but I'm pretty sure we did some pretty awesome research. Today's case is on the mysterious disappearance of 17-year-old Brian Carrick from Johnsbury, Illinois. Jerry and Maria Cacharo owned and managed a successful grocery store in Johnsburg, Illinois, and it was called Val's Food. They were immigrants and they came to America in search of the American dream and they succeeded at it, but their dream would be shattered. Val's Foods was the only grocery store in the tiny town of Johnsburg, and it was located on North Johnsburg Road, directly across the street from the Carrick residence. An equally known and respected family, and they consisted of 14 kids and the parents, William and Terry. That's a ton of kids. Yes, too many for me. <laughs> so eight of the 14 Carrick kids, they had actually been employed at Val's over the years. And at the time that the story takes place, Brian Carrick, he was the 11th child. Him and his brother, they were stock boys at Val's. So Brian was a junior in high school, and he, like the rest of his family, was very deeply religious. He was described as just a really sweet guy. He was very well known, and, you know, everybody liked him, kind of like, you know, what we would want all of our children to (laughs) be like. So on December 20th, 2003, Brian walked into Val's grocery store between the hours of 6.30 and 7 p.m., and it was to meet up with one of his coworkers. Well, on his way in, Brian had passed by his brother, who was collecting shopping carts out in the parking lot. So Brian would never leave the store that evening. The next day, on December 21st, 2003, Brian's mom answers the home phone, and it's the manager that had called from Val's looking for Brian. So instantly, his mom is totally confused. She goes like, what the heck do you mean? Where is Brian? And then she becomes instantly worried, I'm sure as any parent would be. So she goes upstairs to Brian's room, and he's not there. He's nowhere to be found. So someone in the family had noticed that Brian wasn't home at 8 a.m. that morning, but he thought that he was working still from the morning shift. So they didn't really think anything like of his absence, literally until the store had called the mom, like, hey, where is he? So immediately Val's Food offers up a $25,000 reward for any information leading to locating Brian. This is how small town Johnsburg is. It's a total like we are all family type of atmosphere and a place where an employer like would offer up That's that a hefty reward from the gate right off the gate right off of the bat, yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty incredible. So the Carricks and the Cacharos were super good friends. But the bottom line is, is that Val didn't have to offer up that kind of reward. He didn't have to offer up any type of reward. They had no idea where Brian could have been at this time. But Jerry, the store owner, who was also Brian's manager, said that he knew that this was totally out of Brian's character to just go missing. He knew that Brian was super responsible 
And he said that Brian is one of the hardest workers that he's ever employed at his store. So from the time that Brian had went missing, Jerry began to carry a photo of Brian in his wallet in hopes that someone someday somewhere would recognize him so they could bring Brian home. I mean, that shows how like a lot that he cares about him, you know, just even if it's just a boss or whatever, like obviously that family had a special relationship with him. Totally. And it just shows how much he cares. Yeah. So weeks go by, and despite efforts from the local law enforcement, FBI, and all of the volunteers, there is no sign of Brian. And that is until something is discovered. So it's determined after the initial search for Brian in the store that his blood was actually found within the store inside of the produce cooler in the back of Val's. And it was discovered the day after Brian's disappearance. The splatter and smeared blood that was in the produce cooler was also on some boxes and actually the trash compactor. So when the blood was discovered, it didn't immediately raise alarm bells because it was thought to be blood that was from meat that was stored for the meat department within that produce cooler. Being that it was so close to Christmas, Val's had this huge selection of meats and they would often use that produce cooler for the overflow in the meat department. So after Brian is discovered missing, they went back, tested the blood within the cooler just to be sure. And yeah, it's totally confirmed to be Brian's blood. So all of Val's food employees were interviewed by the police. Three employees in particular. It was Mario Cachero, the owner's son, Rob Render, and Shane Lamb. Now, both Shane and Rob had criminal records. Mario had never been in trouble with the law, and that's who police like began to heavily focus on. At just 19 years old, Mario has no criminal record and is known to be the nicest guy in they, town. They all are known as the nicest that's what guys. They all say. God, I hate that. <laughs> I'm going to start leaving that stuff out. Mar- <laughs> Mario was L educated and he was well respected. No one could ever even believe that police had interest in him. So police begin to dig deeper into Mario's life, and they come to the realization that Mario may have been the quote-unquote nicest guy, but this nice guy was selling weed at the family's <laughs> grocery store. Out he of was their, hustling in the back. Out of the American dream. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go get those grocery carts, <laughs> selling some weed while I'm at it. So investigators begin to piece together this puzzle. Believing that Brian was coerced into selling weed for Mario and things had kind of gotten out of hand between them. Mario was pushing like a pretty decent amount of drugs out of the family grocery store, (laughs) which is like still shocking. Like, can't you just do that on campus? You have to do it at a mom and dad's. And Mario was, yeah, Mario was having some of the younger kids help him distribute. You know, he was like the top dog and he's like, y'all are just going to push the weed for me. So Brian had found himself working for Mario and being such the nice, sweet kid that Brian was, he, unfortunately, he would not always collect the money for the weed, which that's like a pretty big no-no. I'm selling you something. You're going to pay for it, especially drugs. Can you just imagine though how sweet he was if that's what he was doing? okay. Just take this ounce. (laughs) Don't give me anything. Well, I don't think your boss is going to be fond of that. So it's believed that Brian had racked up a pretty decent, like, four to $500 debt with Mario, which by all accounts, I mean, it isn't a massive amount, but it's a big enough amount that could cause some issues between the kids and they're young. So 
shit you never know people kill for less these days <laughs> right so these two families that were once super tight were growing really cold towards each other the Casharos knew that there was no way that Mario had anything to do with Brian's disappearance. While on the flip side, the Carricks believed that Brian had been coerced by Mario, which ultimately had led to his disappearance. So one of the stories that was swirling around this tiny town was that Brian was thrown into the produce cooler at Val's where he was killed. The rumor was that he had been taken to an undisclosed location or his body had been taken to an undisclosed location after that where he was buried and later dug up and dismembered with the help of some of Mario's distant family. None of the family that had worked in the store, like not his brothers or his sisters, it was said to be like distant like cousins or something. These are concerning rumors. I know. And that after they dug him up, they dismembered him and they threw his remains into an Iowa river. So these rumors are swirling, but law enforcement didn't have any evidence of any crime other than the blood that was found, but that didn't tell them everything they needed to know. And there was no other blood or DNA from any, you know, anybody else who could have done harm to Brian. Like they just didn't have a suspect. They didn't have anything. So the case goes cold for a long time after the discovery of the blood. And it's just super sad. Like the Carrick's life totally remained at a standstill, just hoping and praying that they would be able to bring their son home in any form. On the other hand, the Kasharos were able to, you know, live their life for the most part. Um, Mario went on to finish college. He graduated from Illinois State University with his degree in finance just three years after Brian passed away. And her family is still reeling, like, where is our son? Can you imagine? What's happening? And it'd almost be hard to, like, be happy for them, too. But, like, just keeping in mind how close the families used to be to them, be like, oh, we're really happy that your son went on to graduate. We don't even know where our son is. And your son might have something to do with it. So... And they live right across the street, yeah, basically from each other. I'd I mean, have moved out of town. I'm out. So years after Brian's disappearance, a very determined prosecutor who had been on the case, and he was super eager to find the answers for the Carrick family, he finally gets a break. His first witness. Now, this witness worked at the store. It was Shane Lamb. And he was a stock boy at Val's. And actually, one of the three kids, remember, that were initially interviewed heavily early on in the investigation. So Shane goes on to reveal that he had been involved all along in Brian's disappearance. Even though back in the day, remember, Shane was adamant that he didn't know anything about Brian's disappearance. Well, the prosecutor found Shane in jail where he was facing drug charges. And at this point, Shane comes forward. like He's ready to talk about the Brian Carrot case. But only, obviously, if he gets some sort of a plea deal. Of course, they always want a plea deal. (laughs) So a deal was reached, and Shane was given immunity to murder charges, involuntary manslaughter, and concealment of a homicidal death and any other offense involving the death of Brian Carrick if he came forward with the actual facts of what happened. Which is insane, because he's about to confess to some heavy claims with immunity on all these charges, And he's going to have his current drug charges reduced as well. So Shane says, Mario, Mario, he was the mastermind behind Brian's death. 
He said that Mario had called him to come down to Val's that night to intimidate Brian to try and get the four to $500 drug debt out of him. So Mario knew that he was not an intimidating type of guy. He was the one that was liked by everybody, respected, the guy that everyone wanted to be around. Mario was also smart enough to know that he could use Shane, who again was totally the opposite, to get what he needed out of Brian. And get this, Shane's rap sheet at the time consisted of five felonies, including a charge at the age of 14 for attempted murder. It's totally insane. So no wonder Mario, if Shane is telling the truth, felt like he can call on him to help him get the money from Brian. He's like, I'm going to go to Shane. Mm -hmm. So Shane claims to get a call from Mario on Shane's day off. And Mario asks him to please come down to the store to talk to Brian. Shane says he had been at a party getting high with his friends, but he agrees to meet both Brian and Mario at the store. Shane said that he confronts Brian, asking him to pay this drug debt to Mario. The argument between Shane and Brian gets super heated. And Mario, who's a witness watching all of this, is standing nearby watching this whole thing just escalate. Mario finally tells him that they need to chill out a little and tells him to go into the produce cooler and shut the door. So Shane says that they all walk over to the cooler and said that he kept demanding the money from Brian and for whatever reason, Brian was just resisting. I mean, he probably didn't have the money on him. We don't know if this was because A, he didn't have it or he was just trying to get it or what, or maybe he was trying to buy some time, trying to figure it out. Shane loses his shit. Shane fully admits to attacking Brian inside this produce cooler, punching him in the head and in the face, and he recalls Brian starting to bleed. Because remember, Brian's blood, it was found inside of the cooler. So this beating continued until Brian was unconscious. Now, once the two guys realize that Brian isn't moving anymore, Mario tells Shane to get out of the store. He's telling him that he'll pretty much take care of it from there. So Shane stated that he leaves and he heads back to the party that he had come from. So after this confession in the jailhouse, police announce a break in the case and Mario is arrested in June of 2007. Mario's official charge is murder by intimidation and he's also facing a perjury charge for denying anything, knowing anything about what happened to Brian. So because Mario never in fact put his hands on Brian... They couldn't charge him with like first, second, or third degree murder. So Mario pled guilty to the charges that he was facing. This would be the first time the charge of murder by intimidation would ever be used in the history of Illinois State. By Mario telling Shane to, quote, come talk to him, it was believed that Mario was wise enough to know what that would interpret to. So the prosecution believes that Mario knew that he was using like Shane as a weapon in this case. Shane was the prosecution's star witness throughout the entire trial, but the prosecution failed to convince a jury and the trial came to a bitter end on February 1st, 2012 with a hung jury. I can't even imagine how his parents felt too. Like you can't even get justice for him. So a little over a year later, Mario found himself back in the courtroom facing the same set of charges. These charges produced a different outcome. Mario was sentenced to 26 years in prison on November 14th, 2013. 
Less than two years later, though, the appellate court overturned Mario's convictions, citing that, quote, the state's evidence was so unreasonable, improbable, and unsatisfactory that reasonable doubt exists, end quote. Less than a week after this ruling, Mario was set free. So at the time of Mario's release, he spoke openly about wanting to become a lawyer to help others and then found that found him themselves in similar situations like Mario. So in 2019, Mario passed the Illinois State Bar exam. And you want to know the kicker? Mario's defense attorney was Kathleen frickin' Zellner, who has dedicated her life to advocating to those who have been wrongly accused. I want to know what's going on with Stephen Avery, by the way. <laughs> God. <laughs> So Brian's body still has not been found to this day. Like, I don't even know what I think about this case. I don't know if I think Mario was involved or was it Shane? Did Mario get away with murder thanks to his parents' success and their American dream? Was Shane telling the truth or did he just want to get off on his drug charges? We have many questions for this case. I have no (laughs) idea. You guys let us know your thoughts. Thank you guys for joining us today. Please drop in wherever you are listening to us now and leave us a five-star review. Have the best weekend. Bye, Bye guys. Drop into wherever you're listening to us now and leave us a five-star review. Have the best weekend, you guys. Bye, Bye guys. guys.